0: Oh hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Mortgage Code podcast. This is episode 28 and I'm joined by Aaron Bay of Innovative. Hello! And I'm also joined by Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington who works for OfferUp. How's it going? And I'm also joined by Mark Rubin who is an independent contractor in Los Angeles. No, sorry, you're in San Jose this week. Hey everybody. Alrighty, so we have a couple of follow-up items. Um, one is on um, the uh, Apple promotion um, called uh, that we talked about last week, called uh, "Pay Once in Play." There was an article that I found earlier in the week on the Motley Fool. Um, like I guess you know, I guess it was today. Um, a couple of things I thought was interesting about it was they were sort of going about, you know, on about what we were saying last week about the fact that Apple obviously wants to sort of um, do some, I guess, damage control on. Uh, people's perception about freemium um, and that kind of stuff. And one of the interesting points I thought I saw about the whole freemium thing was even Rovio, the producers of um, um, Angry Birds franchise, um, are having trouble with, with the way the uh, app, lab, app store labs landscape is changing. And that's something we've talked about on the show for the last little while. And another point was that iTunes apparently generated uh, $2.6 billion in net sales so and, and then the other point was that that uh, I thought was interesting was that they're sort of a, a, they're saying that the freemium model of you know having a game for free and then charging for uh, res- uh, charging for services within the game so it gives the perception that it's free but when you get into it um, as uh, I guess a lot of people know the you know the revenue model is actually through uh, the in-app purchases and their point at the end of the article was that it's, it's um, kind of a Equivalent to the way we used to play coin-operated games in the arcades back in the day, you know, you'd go to play pinball or what have you, and that was the revenue source. There was the game was there, ready to play and ready to go. You just had to throw a quarter into it.
1: Yeah, I think they're they're correct in terms of you know Apple wanting people to buy more rather than necessarily mm-hmm. just being on freemium. So the quote that they have here about, from uh, Stoic, the creator of Baner Saga that uh, says that Apple is frustrated with its customers' reluctance to purchase games from the App Store. I could kind of believe that that's the case. I think sort of philosophically, even though Apple would prefer, you know, at some level that software is basically free and they make money on selling you know, beautiful hardware and so mm-hmm. on and so forth, um, I don't think that the reasons that were given in this article really make sense as for why Apple would. So they, they mentioned the let's, – let's take the comparison to arcade games um, – that doesn't really work the same way, and I've I've definitely played a ton of quarter munchers in my life uh, in arcades. Um, the way that the freemium model tends to work in terms of being ultra-successful tends to be you know, much more on the predatory side than it is... On, so I'm thinking more like the Zynga and, and somewhat the Candy Crush kind of model of things versus the really happy side of freemium like Crossy Road has. Um, and they also mention the comparison for um, vendor or ecosystem lock-in. So they compare it to how difficult it would be to move your set of movies and your set of music from iTunes over to something different, like let's say Google Play. right? Uh, And they say, oh, well the freemium thing is more ephemeral, so there's kind of the less investment type thing is is what they seem to be hinting at. And I don't think that's quite the case. I mean, because one, um, the existence of these games being freemium doesn't necessarily mean that they are um, only on one ecosystem or another um, doesn't you know, just because you are a freemium game doesn't mean you have to be on Android or Windows Phone. You can be you know, pretty successful just being a super popular game on iOS. So it doesn't really follow. I think there is a tendency for a lot of those games to branch out into the other platforms and, and, and sort of weaken the the uh, the dominance of iOS as a oh like I can't move to the other you know game platform because. I'll lose everything since a lot of these tend to be server-based anyways. That just doesn't really follow from from what they're talking about here. I mean, if you have a game that's, you know, a $5 game on uh, iOS, um, it could also be available for $5 on Google Play. Yeah, Uh, but that's
2: the lock-in, right? I mean, that's what they're talking about, saying, you know, you don't want to spend that $5 again on a different platform. Whereas if it were a free-to-play then your only purchases are consumables, for example. Um, so it wouldn't necessarily matter as much if you lost them during a pro- platform transition insofar as that even happens.
1: Yeah, I could sort of see that. I, I think a lot of the games that you end up with on mobile aren't going to be games that you will play indefinitely or play them again Um in contrast to the sort of the old way of things on, let's say, consoles or PCs, where people are still to this day playing StarCraft on the PC, the original StarCraft on the PC. There are still right. people to this day, uh, on plenty of them on YouTube, playing old Mario and Zelda games. Right, yep, yep. I, I really doubt that Candy Crush will be played 10 years from now. It's right. just not that kind of game. Indeed.
2: Or even if, it, even if the OS will support it 10
1: years from now. Right, right. right. right.
2: Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, when I think about uh, platform lock-in, I don't think about games at all, right? Especially iOS games or mobile games in particular. Mm. You know, I think about uh, productivity tools, really. You know, the things that, that I use alongside uh, the operating system to accomplish the things that I need. You know, like Twitter clients, for example. You know, there there certainly are Twitter clients on other platforms, um, but they're all very idiosyncratic. And so I'm going to prefer the particular Twitter client that I'm using, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I don't, I don't know that, that games are a source of huge lock-in. But, you know, like I said earlier, I don't even know that that platform switching from iOS to Android is a huge problem uh, for Apple right now that they need to think about this too much. You know, I look at, um, you know, the, the notion of Apple being worried about uh, free-to-play games. Uh, I have a hard time really believing that. I know philosophically the company believes in quality, right? something that you don't normally see or associate with free-to-play games. Whereas something like a premium game, if you want to call it that, a, a game for which you pay money, somehow being called premium, is something that uh, has, has a lot more quality associated with it. I think of something like Monument Valley, which is a premium game, right? Whereas a Candy Crush is sort of really um, uh, ephemeral, and something that you pay for again and again, and and not not really associated with quality, per se. So the Apple that I I know of, and the one that I think we all fell in love with, is is a company that is more aligned with what we would call a premium game, and yet they're benefiting enormously from the free-to-play game market. You you can look at the top revenue earners on the store, and you can see that this this in-app purchase business model is benefiting a lot of large companies, but also, of course, benefiting Apple. That's my two cents. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to be a fool for that. Oh, you see what I did there? Okay.
0: <laughs> the other item we had for follow-up had to do with... Uh, it was just sort of uh, bantering back and forth with Jaime about um, the uh, uh, Tim Hortons, uh, Timmy Me app a couple of weeks ago, and he's all excited about coming to Canada and trying out our famous uh, Tim Hortons coffee. Um. But anyway, the, the, there was an article on the uh, initially on the CBC website about um, a developer had done some analysis on um, a roll up of the rim, and roll up a rim is, is a contest we have here on, on the, that Tim Hortons puts on at least once a year, I think, um, where you know, you roll up paper rim on the edge of the cup, you know, you win like a free bag of free donut or a cup of coffee or you know a car or what have you. I'm not sure what the grand prizes are, but.
2: Yeah, um, just a quick little thing here. This guy, um, you know, put together a website to collect people's results for when they won the contest. It uh, is intended to sort of defeat the notion that large cup sizes are more likely to win prizes. Uh, So far with his 4,000 responses that he's heard, turns out that's probably not the case. Seems like uh, cup size is not correlated with prize size.
0: Yeah, well, it just it just seemed, that seems like such a far-fetched uh, sort of conspiracy idea. But I, I was also telling Jaime that there, there was a guy who was pitching uh, a product he came up with to, uh, a little plastic product, to slice through the rim of um, the paper cup to make rolling up the rim easier, you know, for people. And apparently it's quite a hit. I think the, I'm pretty sure he got backing from the
2: Dragon Stand on that. Um Anyway, so that's our Tim Hortons follow-up. Yeah, there actually is a product that does that. It's called the Rim Roller. Rim Roller. Rim Roller, and I'll (laughs) paste that into the show notes so that Mm -hmm. you can have a look at this beauty.
1: You know, I I look at some of the the issues he cites about the website, and, and of course, it, it suffers a bit from, you know, self-selection bias right it's not like he did like a scientific study he was just kind of informally looking to see some of his information science and and he also looking at like well like somebody claimed to have won seven cars and three donuts or something i think it said somewhere Um, so who knows about the quality of that piece but i think it would be kind of fun to have sort of you know speaking of ephemeral apps an ephemeral app here that's really just a quickie app to say, hey, we need to crowdsource this data. If you download this app, take oh, a pic- yeah. take a picture of your Tim Hortons cup, take a picture of what you ended up winning mm-hmm. as part of the data collection process. Make it real easy with your camera. Use something like um, Parse as the back end. which gives you a ton of free online um, space and mm-hmm. connectivity and, and just get an app off the ground and running. And he <laughs> probably could have done something like that. That something that the website suffers from would not be as true with a mobile app.
0: Yeah, for those of you following along at home, um, this, the uh, roll-the-room contest has been going since 1998, when the grand prize was a box of Timbits. That's actually Timbits? one
2: of my favorite things from Tim Hortons.
0: Timbits? Oh yeah. They, uh, do they have them Timbits at, at was it Dunkin' Donuts in the states? Do you know what Timbits are? The donut holes. Oh,
1: little, oh, little they're donut, donut, donut bites. Holes. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I think they were called Munchkins by Dunkin' Donuts yes, here in are. the United States. Yes. Really? Do
0: they still yeah. exist? I don't
2: know. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. Well, they're super popular here, especially with the young yeah. young younglings, right? Oh, the, you never know.
2: mind them. I mean, good lord, if you're going to show up somewhere and you got to bring something, yeah. you can stop by Tim Hortons and you can get some Timbits. You can really, buy them yeah. in packs of uh, ten, twenty, forty. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah, and yeah.
0: they're and they're relatively inexpensive. Which yes, is they're probably. very
2: inexpensive, but they're also fantastic. And um, because you know they're not they're they're not terribly filling. Like you could have a donut. Which is like 300 calories, or you could have a timbit, yeah. which is 60. You know, mm. mm-hmm. um, that's a you know nice little snack. You can have mm. it with a cup of tea. Sure. A timbit is a pretty nice thing. I'm a big fan.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean timbit. I have to admit that that uh, of all the things that, that um, I'm a sucker for, Boston cream donut and um, from Tim Hortons and uh, timbits. Have you sure. had
2: their sour cream glazed donut?
0: Oh yeah, I like those ones. Too.
2: Oh, excuse me. Just I'm going to put this on pause right now. I got to go get one. <laughs> so good, <laughs> but bad, you know, but good. Do you want to okay, talk about nerdy things?
0: Yeah, we can talk about uh, our our favorite thing, which is I'm um, looking at my wrist. There's nothing there. Well, there could have been something there today if I was paying attention. Was it today? Yesterday? Yesterday. Yeah,
2: depends what you're talking about. I'll tell you. Well,
0: I initially, I'm talking about the Pebble um, yeah. Kickstarter. Yep. Pebble, sorry, Pebble. What's it called? Time. Pebble.
2: Time. It's Pebble time. time. Pebble time. Pebble
0: time. The new device from Pebble.
2: Um, Pebble. For those who don't know, for some reason, uh, Mm -hmm. shame on you. But they are the makers of, to to my knowledge, the original smartwatch. They had a Kickstarter campaign some years ago to launch their original model, uh, which featured uh, smartphone integration so that it would receive notifications and had an e-paper display, an e-ink display, okay? Mm -hmm, The original mm -hmm. one that was, like, grayscale. And Mm -hmm. it was... Fairly successful. Like I think most people knew about the, the Pebble Watch, and it was a very successful Kickstarter campaign. The watch has been out for a few years now, and they have since launched a new model. Last year, they launched the Pebble Steel, which is sort of an upscale version of the original watch, but with a, a nice steel case to it and wristband. Now, this is the new thing that just happened yesterday. Pebble has launched a new line of smartwatches. And uh, hotly anticipated, of course, given the fervor out there around smartwatches, both on the Android and Apple side, of course. You ever heard of that Apple Watch? Mm -hmm. So the Pebble Time, it turns out, is a new Kickstarter campaign from a company with some hundred employees Mm -hmm. who are looking to uh, quickly capitalize on what they have created, a brand new platform uh, for smartwatches that includes a new watch-based operating system which is based on the concept of time hence its name also though and and just as interesting to me anyway is an integrated color e-ink display now there's a video on the kickstarter site for this project and it shows the watch in use and the display is really really nice with the kind of fluid animation that you would never associate with e-ink displays Uh, enough so to make me wonder if this is for real or not but uh it was filmed sort of in situ which made it at least seem like it was the real thing and i'm i would happily invite comment from our august fellow guests on this show but suffice to say this kickstarter campaign has been very successful for pebble In the, I think their goal was a half million dollars, which Mm -hmm. they've reached within 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. They're now at, as I'm watching this page right now, it updates live, uh, thanks to the power of kickstarter.com, 45,900 backers for a pledge total of $9.832 million dollars. And that's 24 hours after launch.
0: So is this a product that, that exists yet or are or they're, they yes. using Kickstarter to back it, to build it?
2: No, they've they've built it. It's done. It's already uh, there. I think what this basically is is a glorified pre-order system. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they're at the point now where they're just entering manufacturing at this point. And so um, they, I, I suspect, although I, I wondered as well, and I think Jaime has a thing or two to say about this too, that when you go to Kickstarter, you're kind of doing it because you can't afford to do it otherwise right. if you don't get the support up front. Uh, whereas I think Pebble is in a position where they could have done this up front, but because they, they had such a, a great success with their first Kickstarter round that they decided to go back here for old time's sake um, and, and take the money that they can. Mm-hmm. And I, I, think, I think there's been some social, social media echo happening here, which is really helping them a lot. jaime what do you think yeah i
1: i think it's perfectly okay i mean it i understand the the idea of using kickstarter to kickstart things right that's its name you're Mm -hmm. you want to get this widget out there and you don't have the money to do it you need some help i totally appreciate that i don't necessarily see something wrong with companies you know larger companies um which pebble isn't huge but it's a hundred people so it's not exactly small and trivial either Uh, I don't see any problem with them using it if that's helpful for consumers to get what they want. And based on how successful this Kickstarter is, clearly consumers, at least, you know, the fans of Pebble, really, really want this thing to to be out there and exist. So I don't have any, like, philosophical problems with it. And it makes me wonder about sort of, like, business opportunities around this because they do have, um, as Aaron mentioned, the color e-ink display, which looks pretty snazzy i i didn't think it could do that most of the e-ink stuff that i see is like the kindles from amazon that are insanely slow to refresh yeah this this is the
2: opposite i mean it's it looks pretty good it's got some really sprightly looking animations in there tim did you watch the video uh the one at the bottom of the page was at the top of the page uh
0: Oh, I think I watched it yesterday. Actually,
2: yeah. Yeah, yeah. it shows little animations like when you get a, a or send a message out, and it has a little paper airplane that that folds up and shoots off the screen. Mm-hmm. Very fluid looking, like really nice, simple. You know, little line drawing type stuff. Like seems to be the the style of this of the design of this operating system, but um, very very fluid and smooth. You know, when you um, when you know how e ink works. Um, the original technology at least with the black and white displays or grayscale displays more accurately um, is that they it's it's basically um a film which contains little um nodules that that have black and white sides on them right Mm -hmm. and it it, uh, an electric current passes through that display and orients those uh, pebbles (laughs) and listen to me um those little nodules into the right shape right and so it can It can have a display being on without needing power. And that's the whole point. And so for for as long as e-ink has existed, the makers of this technology have been struggling to find a way to make it color, right? Because uh, the principle that it works under, you know, theoretically anyway, only works with black and white. You know, it's an off-on state per pixel. So how do they make it color? I don't know. You know, when I saw this thing uh, yesterday, I actually couldn't believe it. So I I went looking around for any other news or uh, manufacturer reports of color e-ink displays. You know, is this this kind of display generally available? Is this a breakthrough that happened that I missed? And I wasn't able to find anything. Hmm. So, um, you know, I had a friend I was talking to about this, and he said, this is for sure... Uh, done in After Effects, you know, post, post-production post on the video. Oh, to, really? To make it look like that. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my goodness, if that turns out to be true, then um, they're going to have a lot of explaining to do if the animations aren't as fluid and simple and, and nice as that is. Hmm. That's
0: weird. Yeah. Well, well I, think, I think I mentioned before the show, I was at a, a NerdLearn um, hosted at the, um, the working group, or TWG, in Toronto, um, and then amongst uh i 'll talk about that a little bit later, but um Philippe Casgrain, who 's from n s north actually had his pebble there, so we I got to pull up my hand and try it out. He was showing it off and, and you know got to see it and, and you know play around with it and you know try try to come with the a couple of the apps on it. It was an interesting thing, a little thick i thought for uh for phone, but i guess that 's kind of sort of where the uh, the apple I feel yeah, I like get that, used to that Apple watch <laughs> is going to be right so when I was just looking on the side here, this one says it 's twenty percent thinner or so as well. As well as being uh, this, this new uh, Pebble Gizmo, yeah. but, it, it, but I mean, I guess isn't isn't part of the story here that they they managed to reach this huge number in such a
2: short period of time? I think that's probably a huge story, right? That's that's a story. Uh, it's part of this story. I don't think it's the whole story. Mm-hmm. I mean, looking at it now, forty-five thousand nine hundred fourteen. Fourteen people have uh, signed on since I started <laughs> talking about it. Yeah. Um, so that's how many watches they're selling. I think. All right. Um, yeah. Or yeah. thereabouts. So, yeah. um, okay. So they've sold fifty thousand watches in twenty-four hours. Right. right. Okay. Um, that's that's good. I mean, any I think anybody would be happy with that. I don't think Apple would be happy with that. No, yeah. I mean... When, they're looking uh, to sell millions and millions and
0: millions. Well, so, so they asked... So the people on the panel at the NerdLearn was, was Mark Palvitas from... Um, Flexible. Cine- uh, yeah, and they're, they're the producers of cinemograph app. Um, and um, Georgia Dow of iMore and uh, various and sundry um, podcasts. And uh, Philippe from NS North, and um, who's oh, and, and Brian Gilliam. The, 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 he works at the Working Group, but he's also the host of uh, Watch Resources website. Anyway, so the, the question came to at one point. Uh, they were talking about the fact that they, they anticipate that there will be a half a million watches sold, five hundred thousand. Yeah, sold mm-hmm. like in, in the initial release. That was sort of what they were they were guessing, right? So of course,
2: but yeah, yeah. that's clearly an order of magnitude yeah talking this. about yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, for sure so you know it's not to say that pebble's not thrilled with this number, and of course they they have to be you know getting like i don't know what that number is going to look like twenty nine days from now, but mm-hmm. it's going to be higher than ten million dollars, obviously, um, but you know there was an initial rush obviously and here you know because they had the time based sort of um, uh rewards here mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. if the the sooner you move the the lower the pay, price you pay for for a It's just the idea. That so 14
0: people in the last, what you said, uh, 10, 15 minutes we've been talking about this. Yeah, 16 now. 16 now have, have spent at least 300, 300, $400 US on this stuff, right? so
2: Well, they they spent at least $179. Oh, so, yeah. 179 is the lowest. Oh, still
0: some of those? Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought they were all gone. I don't
2: hmm. think there's any limit to that one. It doesn't look like it. Uh, for 179 you can get a watch, and there's no limit on that one. Hmm. Um, hmm. So... Um, the other, the other thing about the Pebble is that they have a new operating system. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the basis of their OS is a timeline. You know, that's sort of a pun in the name of the watch. So right. along the right side of the watch face, there are three buttons. Uh, and the idea is that you've got past, present, and future. Mm-hmm. Not in that order. So it's uh, uh, past... No, it is in that order. Yeah, top to bottom. So right. the, <laughs> the idea being that certain functions are related to a time, past, present, or future. Mm -hmm. So they have a little diagram here on their website that explains this. Um, And it's not, it's still not entirely clear to me, but okay. Here, past is messages that you've received. Um, I don't know what that soccer shoe means uh, or a basketball Um, (laughs) in this diagram, but the features of the watch, notifications, um, alerts, Things like that, things that have come in on your watch are in the past, and you it hit the top button to see them. Possibly. Ah, good point. Yes, maybe yeah. that's what it is. Um, oh, here we are. There's a little animated GIF, okay? And, again, there's that beautiful animation. Damn, them now it's beautiful. And then uh, uh, reminders for meetings or events that are in the future are accessed by hitting the top, uh, bottom button, right? So mm-hmm. future is the bottom. Um, and that's your calendar. So I think that's interesting. I, I have a hard time understanding like what you know, because there the watch does a lot of different things. Like it plays music. Is that is that access from the present? Like, um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> is is music current? I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah. it's the weather. The weather, I, I want to know what the weather is in the future. So I guess that would be the bottom button. It feels to me like there would be a significant cognitive load to understanding where I'm gonna find things. Um, stocks. Yeah, but I think those, those synapses would form fairly quickly, though. I would hope so. Uh, I would, you know, it's hard to say without using the darn thing, right? So, um, you could be right. But it's, I'll say this, it's different. And, uh, um, you know, say you're an app developer. I think you asked about this the other day, Tim.
0: Uh, yesterday. Yeah, well, yeah, because I asked Philippe, he, he bought a, um, uh, a weather app that he was talking about, and, and the reason he bought it was in French, and he because we were talking about whether or not you can actually, if there actually is a store, uh, there is a store. You can develop for it, um, but most of the people who are charging for apps on the on the on the store are doing it as as donationware. Basically, you get the app for free, and mm. if you want to kick the guy back some bucks, you
2: can. Right. Right. In practice, I'm sure that's not very compelling. But no. I guess my point about there being a third party marketplace for apps is that you have to decide where in the timeline your app belongs. Right. So. Really? Uh, you know, contrary to like say how Apple does it or how the Apple Watch will do it with a Springboard, right, where your your apps are just all there together and you can mm-hmm. navigate to them using this totally fly flywheel thing, um, you're going to have to figure out where it sits in time. Mm-hmm. That's that's weird, man. So I don't know. Um, so is that anyway. exactly <laughs>
0: any different than than like today view or glances or notifications? I mean, not really.
2: You know, well, it's I just... think it is because. This is, this is the only mechanism you have to locate these things, right? Right, right. You know, right. whereas the springboard is your primary mechanism for finding mm-hmm. and launching apps. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think you have much choice about that. You know, you can get to them through various oblique ways, such mm-hmm. as time uh, the today view or, or any notification that you receive. But uh, frankly, uh, the springboard you know, for all its limitations is at least easy to understand. It it comes with no cognitive load or at least a very low one, Mm -hmm. especially I think the springboard on the Apple watch, which kind of puts everything in front of you. Mm. Whereas the, on the pebble time, um, like I said, I think this, this idea of knowing what relationship your app has to time is what you need to know to find the thing. Like I said, I I haven't used it. I don't know. But this is uh, pretty weird to me.
1: It's an interesting alternative. I look at their timeline bit as being very similar to glances on the Apple Watch um, in terms of getting quick information. But it Mm -hmm. seems sort of different in the way that it's presented to you. The glances are much more... um, you are pulling for that information at that time as a user. You're saying, I want to take a glance at this and see what's going on. Whereas the Pebble watch, or sorry, the Pebble time seems much more similar to something like a Google now, where we have decided that this is how these things will be for you in order to give you information on a timely basis. No pun intended.
2: Oh, that pun (laughs) was so intended, (laughs) but you're right. Um, Yeah. Google takes a very different approach too. Yes.
1: Yeah. And, I think from a, you know, where does this sort of fit into things? I think both Pebble and Apple have the same kind of design criteria here on you shouldn't be spending, you know, much of your time and effort being engaged with the watch in either case. They just took two different approaches as to, well, what does that mean in terms of getting you the information right when you need it and just deferring to other bodies like the uh, the iPhone or uh, in the case of the Pebble Time, you can use it with your Android phone uh, for, for more engagement, right?
2: Um, I, I like this watch. I'll tell you that. I'll just say that off the top. I think it's a, <laughs> off the bottom because, let's face it, we've been talking about this for a while. But uh, it's a nice-looking watch, and I would wear one if it weren't for the fact that the Apple Watch is coming out very shortly. And I'm pretty darn sure I'm going to buy one of those bad boys. No, so- no just
0: speaking of that, a couple, a couple of couple questions come to mind about the Apple Watch. Um are you talking about the, the brushed aluminum sport watch, or would you go for a stainless right. steel watch, or would you get uh, the
2: edition watch? Well, or? that's obviously a separate discussion, though, isn't it? I mean, um, okay. Well, first off, I'm obviously just going to get the sport because I don't. I'm not. I'm not a hojillionaire. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you sell one of your helicopters? <laughs> that's Marco for you. I'm sure. Yeah, I think Marco is planning to get a at least a, a regular watch. Um, mm-hmm. For good for him. That's good for Marco. Um, for me, though. <laughs> You know, I look at the pebble and I think it's it's i think it actually has a chance you know I think a lot of people are are not thinking that it does have a chance in the market, given that the Apple watch is coming out you just but push it, yeah I think apple has is going to be providing a significant pricing umbrella to take their own term um, and allow allow someone like Pebble to come into the marketplace with a, a much less expensive yet still very functional product mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know I look at what they're doing here and it seems like they've they've got something that's that's very compelling, um, and isn't that expensive. Um, I think you know a lot of people aren't really used to spending two hundred dollars on a watch. you know you can get a, an excellent analog Timex watch for like thirty dollars but really? <laughs> um, mm. but in terms of a smart watch, you know um, mm. you know I think uh, there this is a very compelling product and if if apple weren't weren't coming into the market next month uh, with something of their own, I would be giving this a serious look
0: Wow, yeah. yeah. But it was like Mark was saying last week that that um, um, Apple doesn't really sort of see themselves in, in this kind of market. They they have a, a premier experience and a premier product, right? Indeed. Mark? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and maybe this is like the original MP3 players when the iPod first came out. In in that you know Apple kind of let them run around for a while and. Because uh, there was a number of MP3 players at first when, when the iPod first came out, and then then Apple went after them with the shuffle and yeah. the smaller devices,
2: right? The Nano and what mm-hmm. have you, right? Mm-hmm. So It's possible that over time the Apple Watch will go down market a bit, you know. Uh, but that, to me right now, like, all the focus of conversation about the Apple Watch is about how expensive that edition model is going to be, right? <laughs> that's uh, true. That's we know true. how little it will cost. Yeah. And that's still a fair amount of money. $350 U.S. Um, but and we don't know what the bands are going to cost, too. I mean, that, that's oh, there's another, another revenue there, right? So. so much that we don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. But, you know, I'm really looking forward to finding out. <laughs> I can't wait to find out. Uh, but there's a lot of speculation out there. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You know, for developers, looking here at what they talk about for their community, so their, their SDK is C-based. Mm-hmm. Um they have support for 64 colors, so that tells me how many colors that Pebble time screen has, um, animation frameworks, and uh, access to accelerometer, Bluetooth messaging, GPS, a couple other you know, on-device sensors. Um, in terms of where this fits in the marketplace and where could things go for the developer, I think if you are developing the kinds of apps that need to be multi-platform, you really have few choices other than this Pebble time piece because the only other one that will support iOS and Android that I'm aware of is Microsoft's Band, which also Who? came out with a, an SD case uh, recently.
0: Who? Microsoft?
1: Who? Yeah, yeah exactly. Microsoft Band. Band. What? talking about ecosystem lock-in, if you go the Android Wear route or you go the Apple Watch route, um, if you decide, hey, you know what, I'm going to buy a different phone, I'm going to cross to the different platform, guess what? You're going to have to buy a new watch as well.
0: Mm, oh really mm, yeah
1: your your android i mean other than a hack that i've seen online your your android wear watch is not going to work with your iphone and your apple watch will never ever 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 let me say that again ever work with anything non-apple
2: when when will it when will it work with something non-apple Hi, <laughs> mean, i'm not clear
1: stop <laughs> getting on like the, the bush man the second coming of steve perhaps maybe <laughs> might change things mm-hmm, huh mm-hmm.
2: You know that uh, to develop apps for the Pebble, uh, they have a cloud-based IDE at cloudpebble.net. Oh, really? True yeah, story. It. Yeah, it's and uh, you, you open that up and it says, online Pebble development, write apps without dealing with Linux, virtual machines, compilers, or Python. Wow. You know, I, I read that and I'm like, well, screw that. Why would I want to avoid that? Great stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I love Linux and VMs and compilers and Python. What are you saying I can't use that stuff?
0: Mm-hmm. How do you know your your ID is working unless source kit crashes all the time? Oh, yeah. <laughs> actually, I haven't seen many of those recently. I don't know about you guys, but,
2: uh... oh, actually, um... uh, just just to be clear, I think this looks awesome. <laughs> What's that? The Cloud pebble. I think it looks really neat. <laughs> anyway, neither here nor there. <clears throat> Carry on.
0: Um, yeah, speaking of which, I just, I kind of, uh, just stumbled across, and we didn't talk about this before the show, but I just want to really quickly have a, a question for Jaime about this. Um, iOS 8.3 and and 9, you put up an article about?
1: Yeah, so this is rumor, to, to be clear, kind of switching topics here. So yeah, on 9to5Mac, right. uh, we'll put that. It's rumor, but it's, it's, my initial take on this rumor was, I think, much more negative than it is now. Um, mm-hmm. so the... Belief here is that just like OS 10 had a uh, limited public beta program with Yosemite, that there will be a public beta for iOS 8.3 and uh, coming in March and iOS 9 coming in the summer. Yeah. Uh, Apparently limited to something, what is it, like 100,000 people? So my initial take on this is, um, wow, that sounds like it's going to be a disaster for developers (laughs) <laughs> because oh, yeah. how many, I mean, as know. it is, as difficult as it is, right? and I do know that there are people who readily violate their agreements and pay me X amount of money and I'll put the beta version of iOS on your phone. Mm. Even with all of those hurdles, there are still a sizable number of people who say, one star doesn't work on iOS next. Right? It's like, oh, <laughs> well, okay, yep. great. I mean, <laughs> that's why mm-hmm. I'm a developer and trying to deal with that. Um, seems like it would be much worse, you know, in this kind of environment. However, having looked at it, I, I think it, it would be really positive, you know, yes. in terms of, you know, we've, we've seen all sorts of bugs and, and nasty bugs that came out with apps like Dropbox and, and so on and so forth that, you know, because having the beta limited to simply developers is just not enough. We're, we're not, you know, heterogeneous enough to, to really nail down all of those nasty bugs with a super huge iOS user base. But I think mm. if they just did a couple tweaks, like not letting reviews go into the app store from beta builds mm. and from a developer standpoint and from a user standpoint, if they made it easy to roll back to the production build of iOS, it would be helpful. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. how set of a situation would it be? It was like, hey, I tried this beta thing. and Oh, it sucks. It totally screwed my phone over. It's like, well, I can't do anything yeah. to help you. <laughs> We're going to have to flatten and reload the sucker.
2: Yeah, that is. Those are excellent, excellent points.
3: And there is well, talk that that uh, uh, iOS nine is going to be sort of a snow leopardish kind of release, where it's more, you know, stability and, and like, bug fixes yeah. than than new features, which I think everyone would be would be happy about.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: so if that's the case, then then it, it may not be as dramatic a change, and and you know, existing apps might not um, do too badly on the new version.
0: So I, we had a bit of a debate about this on on the, the Slack. Uh, last week cuz i mean with the ray runner group we actually talk about you know what's coming up in quite quite often ding um and uh, the uh, the uh, uh, my point was why wouldn't they just do like an 8.5 you know like we know it's not we know rather than like do you think they like everybody's everybody on the on the site was sort of saying you know that they thought you know just they're just going to have ios 9 released at wwdc but but I mean, do they really need to be that stringent about it? Can't they just admit that it's a 8.5 like they did with, like they did with snow leopard exactly right? Because um, in, in my I mean we talked about this iterative um, um, version numbering before, I think right um, that does it have to if, if it's not a full you know proper rethink from the ground up, why would they go to
2: like a, a 9.0 right? It's got to be marketing, right? Like that's just how Apple works. I think Mm. if they, we did talk about this uh, Mm. last week or the week before about Mm -hmm. um, proper version numbering, right? Right, The idea being that yeah, they they should totally have you know uh, stick to like a, a more. What's the word I'm looking for? Semantic versioning system, Thank right? You. Yeah. yeah, thanks. Sorry I about would, that. No, hey, anytime. So <laughs> the, the the idea being that they they should number it as, <laughs> as it's as it's featured as you will you know, and they didn't do that with Snow Leopard because every major release of the operating system was a was a a point yeah, release. You know, yeah, call it a yeah, ten point yeah. six to ten point seven, or in this case ten point five to ten point six. So um, I think it's going to be the same thing for iOS. Um, and I don't know that we – I don't think we can get hung up on that anymore. Let's be honest. Well,
0: but to, you just actually you just said the, the, the point there. I mean, we've been on OS s ten since 1999.
2: Yeah. But, no. you know, like it's it's because they – you know, it was OS uh, – or System 9 and then yeah. uh, then OS X, mm-hmm. um And they, they do the versioning number like 10.123. But mm-hmm. it's really, you know – OS ten version one, version two, version three, and Snow leopard is right. version six, you know right um, so they, they do get cute with their version numbers, obviously mm-hmm. and they get cute with everything, especially when it comes in contact with marketing right so yeah. uh iOS version numbers are uh, probably almost solely the province of marketing, nothing to do with development
0: yeah, I mean, because it could be argued that that you know until iOS seven came out
2: it was pretty much the same stuff just tweaked right yeah well i mean they obviously added a lot of features you know like copy yeah, paste yeah. and multitasking and things like that yeah um but you know like obviously ios 7 came out with a major look and feel update that's that, what i mean yeah. that we're still enjoying to this day but i think that uh, you know i hope mark is right uh from the rumors that he that we've all been hearing but i see that it's not terribly likely that they're going to go with an 8.5 Mm-hmm. You know, how would, it, how would it play with competitors, you know, like with Android, you know, coming out and saying, oh, well, you know, Apple's just made a point release. You know, they're not really innovating anymore.
0: Well, we'd
3: start naming our stuff after desserts then, I guess, right? <laughs> um, yeah, what, you know, but it's, it's funny. Now but- that they've set that precedent of having a, a mm-hmm. new full version, quote, full version every year, along with a new... Uh, phone model every single year it's hard to pull back from that and not get a real negative reaction from oh, i see from the street story, yeah. wall street or, sure. or the press or whatever right, right uh right. i mean just look at you know look at what happens anytime there's a slight tiny little glitch somewhere everyone jumps mm-hmm. on apple and so, so they're not they don't innovate anymore and they're doomed it's doom it's doomed. and gloom and mm-hmm. and and yet they still keep making more and more money so um yeah, I I I agree. I think it's just a marketing thing. I think it's just uh, you know, it's it's we we just it's a new year, we have a new version and that's it. Mhm. Mhm. Interesting.
2: So it were it, just good feach uh, you know, improvements to the stability of the system rather than wacky new features. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. sure. yeah. But what if they got away from the numbering system, right?
1: So you, you guys mentioned Android and Android kind of did the uh, until recently with with 5.0 uh, for lollipop they kind of did mm. sort of the opposite of that where the differences between 4.0 4.1 4.2 and 4.3 and 4.4 4, depending on which version you're talking about were significant upgrades that are kind of kept as like well yeah yeah whatever it's a minor point release kind of thing right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. what if apple just think outside the box here is, was to get away from version numbers and just went with another theme and i'm going to propose birds there are plenty of birds, <laughs> way more birds than there are large cats. I'm still waiting for sea lion. Come on.
2: <laughs> That's a wild sea idea. Lion. So, like, iOS magpie?
1: Sure. Start off mm-hmm. with a couple of swifts, right? Kind of works with the swift theme. And then oh, kind of go think. away from there. Right. Huh. iOS robin.
0: <laughs> Interesting. Mm. Anyway, so where we were supposed to go with this conversation was we were going to start talking about, um, uh, is it Facebook's Origami 2.0?
1: Yeah, so for folks who don't know, um, Facebook, uh, I want to say it was last year when they were working on their Facebook paper app for iOS, kind of a Mm -hmm. different take on Facebook where it's predicated on a very deep and immersive experience um, around the news feed and, and mm-hmm. user timeline. They created some tools, one of which was origami. And that is, um, I don't actually know the technical underpinnings, but it's basically like a layer on top of Quartz Composer, if you've ever downloaded that from from uh, for Xcode, for, for all of your different tool needs from developer.apple.com. Mm-hmm. And this makes it a whole lot easier to prototype out animations so the original version of origami had these things called patches which were sort of fancy ways of like having like lego building block that you could then connect you know an input to an output to say you know render this image okay great now this output take that and um, rotate it 45 degrees great and then this other output now take that and put a 50 percent gradient on it um Hmm. so kind of a if you think about like the pipeline processing for just about anything, right? So CPUs or image processing for, you know, different filter effects you could add or, or transformations in animation. It's kind of like that, but at a much more accessible level where you are, you know, dragging something from, you know, kind of a building block from a palette kind of photoshop kind of palette and then setting parameters like this X value is here, this Y value changes as a spring kind of animation, over some sort of a threshold. So that was great. And you could prototype things out on your, on your desktop. But now Facebook has updated origami with some serious upgrades. Like they have a new thing called origami live, where if you download this app from the app store for iOS, Mm -hmm. you can be working on your desktop, connect via your lightning cable to your phone and see your prototype live and interact with it live on the phone. So you don't have to imagine what those touch targets will be like. You can actually try it out yourself while you're trying to prototype and tweak things before you do code for a particularly interesting animation. Hmm. And then they've also done things like have um, integration with Sketch. So, you know, whereas Photoshop is, is pretty popular, I think, in general for visual design um, in iOS and Mac ecosystems it, it circles, it kind of seems like Sketch is getting really hot people are starting to use that as an alternative for right. creating apps, uh, creating app designs. This integrates with sketch where you can have, you know, named layers on your sketch designs. Like, okay, this is the toolbar. This is the navigation button. This is a, you know, a, a different widget for images. And as you make changes in that, you say, you know what, instead of red, let's go with green. You can have that linked to origami and origami live on iOS. So you could just, see your changes happen without having to re-export your assets, you know, manually run some other build script and other sorts of things that are harder to do, um, you know, with like an actual app. And then as a one more thing that they did, um, so I talked about these animations they can do, right? So different spring type animations and and other bits that you might work with a a designer, let's say, if, if it's not you creating this. And they might say, hey, great, here's this different sliding element. Here's this card that moves in a certain way, uh, maybe has a different springy effect based on where the the user tapped. And rather than having to try to recreate that just by guessing or maybe getting something out of Quartz Composer and, and sort of reverse engineering what the designer created, you can now just simply choose to export and it will create the ios and uh, and i believe also android and i believe also web code to recreate that animation so it kind of gives you a skeleton for that that you can continue to put into your app and and use that as your basis and get much much closer to what the um, the design and product team intended rather than having to sort of just guesstimate it yourself
0: so these are drag and drop palettes. you can just connect different like you, you bring up these pieces and you just drag and drop them to connect them right and then what does it do? Does it output code to your to your project, or
1: it outputs code as a file? So it creates a, a .m file for iOS, and oh, really? Okay. I forget what it does for Android, but I did try that too. Um, so it doesn't create like a whole project. It's meant to be more like you know, integrate it as part of this view controller or this view, for example.
0: But it almost looks like the way you can you, know, you have the graphical editor for um, for um, core data where you can actually make connections and relationships by drawing lines between the two objects together right yeah that's sort of
1: how the tool works from a visual point of view indeed and i'll, I'll be honest what you just mentioned with core data i kind of yeah. wish this worked as intuitively as core data's visual editor <laughs> <laughs> because okay so it doesn't work yeah,
0: okay.
2: <laughs> well it's based on quartz composer right so yeah i don't know which if is you ever had a chance to Yes, it is, and that's, that's actually the weak point of origami is that it relies on quartz composer, which to a lot of developers even is an impenetrable, scary rat's mm-hmm. nest of you know, des- des- developer resources that don't match anything that we know about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know it's, it's a very effective tool for, for creating visual uh, 2D and 3D animations. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's being reappropriated here for interface prototyping. Um, and I, I, spoke to a friend of mine, um, today about this. He's, uh, he's a, he's a UI designer and a mobile designer. Um, and he's been watching origami too, because, well, as it happens, uh, we know one of the lead developers of this project, uh, Brandon Walken, who used to be uh, a taco member right. mm-hmm, before mm-hmm. moving to Facebook in California, right. um, formerly of uh, market circle. And, um, you know, so we've been watching this stuff very closely, but, its reliance on Quartz Composer makes it really kind of difficult to get into. Uh, I haven't looked at it uh, since it launched with its 2.0 yesterday, uh, mm. so I don't I don't see any mention of Quartz Composer on this page, <laughs> um, but I believe it still relies on it.
0: So, so can you, so if you if you worked out a uh, an animation or a series of animations and created a, a .m file, could you then take that and, and modify it with an Xcode and presumably? Um,
2: Right. So, so End it to your will, as it were? Yes. Yeah, so ah, yes. It definitely talk, relies on Quartz Composer. Yes. So, Sorry, Jaime.
1: So the other part that is Facebook um, radically upgraded the website related to that, and I actually just pasted it out in the chat so we can get that in the yeah, show notes. Yeah, I'm actually looking at it now, yeah. And if you go to their download link, it tells you the the three simple steps, where you register as an Apple developer, download and install Quartz Composer, and then download and install Origami. And they've also got a whole set of examples that you could try out, just download and run them yourself. This is what I did the other night to try mm-hmm. it on my, um, my iPhone. And they've got a whole slew of tutorials for introduction to origami, which you know kind of helps get around the fact that Quartz Composer, even with origami on top of it, is still gnarly to kind of get your head around. Mm-hmm. And they've got a pretty good set of documentation and a whole like community, which is on Facebook, of course um related to that and in terms of the code piece that that's that's probably the the closest part right where um you know moving this star in this particular pattern or making it you know smaller rotate and enlarging again that those precise bits that that are not technically hard to code and if you have something like facebook pop which is the the animation framework we talked about that helps with those bits or uh, in in concert with Facebook tweak, which we've also talked about, which lets you um, config make values configurable at runtimes with an interface to, to change those values. You're not, you know, stopping changing code, rebuilding, stopping changing code, rebuilding. Uh, This is like one step, you know, ahead of that where you're starting with what should be, and I've not tested this out myself. So, your mileage may vary but <laughs> hypothetically from what they're selling here is the code that it generates will be code that you could just plop right in and probably tweak a little bit to make sure that it integrates into your actual production environment hmm. in, instead of having to say okay well let me guess as to uh was that yeah that looks like it's about half a second or asking the designer or looking in the uh, the origami patches to see it's like yeah okay that's a a half second it's a curve to eases in eases out yeah it was, a, it was a matter of time before we had so graphic graphic editors to create code it's getting pretty close um this is actually kind of a hot area so i don't as an aside to just kind of wrap it up for for facebook origami i don't know if this is a coincidence or if it was um kind of in response to things uh, to this origami announcement is that Pix8, which is a, a I don't think it's something I've ever talked about here, but it's another kind of visual editor for uh, designers, uh, you know, UX uh, interaction design, IX type people to mm-hmm. prototype things. And and one of the flaws in their system, it, it, even though it's perfectly capable, it's really highly capable, kind of like uh, origami with Quartz Composer here to mm-hmm. create uh, much more interactive prototypes rather than the sort of traditional clickable screenshots sort of prototypes, right? This mm-hmm. lets you actually have sliders and do other things, uh, touch gestures and whatnot. But a big flaw with it is that it was all, um, cloud-based, <laughs> kind of the opposite of the Pebble discussion we just had. Um, it, that doesn't lend itself super well to what you're trying to do. Uh, probably in responsiveness, I would guess, based on my discussions with a designer. And yet yesterday they, just announced a beta program for their offline client, which is, I assume, would be a Mac app for Pixate. So I think it's a real hot area that people are going to be further investing in, right? More WYSIWYG type stuff.
0: It's similar to, uh, um, it's not Android Studio, but there was another Android platform that was out um, about a year ago, I think, where where they came up with this. Plug and play kind of way of building uh, Android apps.
2: app builder, I think you're talking about. Yeah, I said what it was yeah. called, app builder, yeah.
0: and it was sort of pluggable modules, right? But it was very was...
3: primitive, right? It was it was yeah, you could only yeah. do very simple things with it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of it, kind of I guess like a phone you kind of thing for Android. Um, and and I actually had it. on – I think we talked about it before in the show. Um, I'm just looking at my iPad. I can't find it here, but it was I had an app called Interface HD, which is the same sort of thing where you could put together um, views. Um, on your iPad and try them out on your phone or whatever. And then when you were done, you could spit out, um, dot eight, an H and an M file and away you go. So interesting stuff, matter of time. Um, okay. So I guess we should start wrapping up and go around the table like we always do and see if
2: anybody has any picks. So Aaron, do you have a pick? Sure. Yeah, I have, uh, sort of a need that I've run into tonight. Uh, I'm kind of approaching the latter stages of development on my app, which um, I hope to have the opportunity to talk about soon. Mm-hmm. Um, in the meantime, I'm putting together screencast of of some functionality that my app can do. And I'm using an app called Reflector, which right. has been out for some time. This is not new. But um, it's great because you can AirPlay to your Mac when it's running Reflector. And then record the video, um, mm-hmm. even even in the frame of the device that you're using. So, um, if I'm using my iPhone, I can I can have the video of my iPhone with the actual screencast inside the screen of it. Um, it looks nice. One thing though that I noticed is that um, it it will not show touches on the screen. Oh, do you know the phenomenon I'm talking about yep. when you when yep. you see like uh, a tap like and the tap. A visual of that tap appears in the video to show where you've touched the screen um, to sort of draw your attention to what I'm doing on the phone. Otherwise, uh, it can be really kind of difficult to see what it is that you're doing uh, when you activate a particular menu, for example. Mm. Um, and so I was doing some looking around tonight, trying to find a solution to this. And turns out that you can you can actually uh, plug your iPhone or iOS device into your Mac and use it as a video source in QuickTime Player Pro. Or yeah. Yep. Never mind Pro, just regular uh, QuickTime player on mm-hmm. Yosemite. And activate the new movie recording, and then you can choose your source as the uh, connected iOS device. Right. Unfortunately, it does not record screen taps. Oh, it doesn't? No. No. If you're recording your screen on your Mac, you have that option. Oh, but, right, right. But not for an iOS device connected, hmm. which blows. So I'm, I'm looking around, and I, I simply cannot find anything that um that does this
0: i thought there was something maybe people are doing it in post production but i thought there was a a, a utility or a keyboard gizmo or whatever you can put into your device to do that seen, well yeah
2: okay ahead. so i i would only say this i almost never hear feedback for this show now i'm asking for it okay if, we want if, feedback i want feedback hey you put it hey. on the thing. Open yeah. Twitter. Contact me. If, yeah, stop listening to this podcast. It's boring at anyway.
0: Aaron huh? At
2: Aaron Vay on Twitter, and let me know. It I would just love to know. Yep. I'm, I'll bet. So I would love to find out if, if anyone knows how to uh, record a video, a screencast from your iOS device that includes the taps.
1: Yeah. So you can't... by taps you're saying you're saying that you want something like the little ghost hockey puck that shows where yeah. the finger yeah. is.
2: Mm-hmm. For example, I'll, I'll take anything. Mm. You know, actually, I like the way the Mac uh, screen recorder does it with the—I think it's a circle that sort of yeah. bl- blooms as you click with your mouse. Mm-hmm. Um, something like that—a little animation, little, just just show me that that a tap has happened here. Um, so anyway, that's my that's my pick for the week. Reflector is an excellent tool, but shame on them for not doing this.
1: <laughs> Maybe you should send them a feature request because they—I've um, yeah. not used this one in particular. I've used something similar. I think it was called Air Server. Um, and I believe reflector also supports this use case that I have where, um, I need to put two devices on screen shared to, uh, like a big projector, uh, let's say a projector that has an Apple TV. So you can AirPlay, you know, the two devices to something like reflector or air server. So you can have both screens up at the same time, and then AirPlay that desktop screen from your Mac over to the Apple TV. And now, you know, an entire company can look at what you've done.
2: Fascinating. Or I should also... Sorry, you were going to say?
1: Oh, no, I was going to say here. uh, It says here, reflector system requirements. This supports Android devices. So you could AirPlay... I'm sorry, not AirPlay. You could reflect over to an Android device? Whoa. I think...
2: Uh, you can, you can airplay an Android device to a Mac running reflector.
1: Oh, that direction. Okay.
2: Yeah. Um, you the were other thinking thing is running iOS on your Android there. Where you're
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> no, no, just letting them
1: know what they're missing out on. See, this, you can see firsthand <laughs> <laughs>
2: these wonderful Sweet.
1: things you can't have.
2: The problem with That's them nice. is they can't see what you're showing them. I there. just want to add one more thing here. Um, the the one thing I was able to find is that there are software projects that you can include in your right. app. Yes. Um, one is called TouchPose, and uh, that actually won't work for me because one of the things I have to do is I'm what I actually am video uh, screencasting is uh, an action extension working in Mobile Safari. So mm. TouchPose and other solutions like that aren't going to work for me because the app that I want to show the touches for is Mobile Safari.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And not
2: my own app in this case. Well,
0: and since so, we're since we're asking for feedback, um, I was all too happy to try the you know, the new WK uh, UI Web View or oh, yeah. sorry WK Web View, yep, yep, which is WebKit Web View in my app. And what what I was stu- what I got stumped by was the fact that there's no data detectors. So in other words, if somebody clicks on a phone number or sometimes even URLs and mail addresses and stuff like that, they don't. It doesn't. Ref- respond to them for some strange reason. So if anybody knows the answer to that, let me know. Anyway. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. So I had mm. to yank that out and put
2: back in a custom um, UI web view. Sorry. Oh, um, well, I've got a Matt Thompson, Matt Thompson yeah. uh, has responded to a question about that on stack overflow. Uh, you have to implement data detectors yourself using NS data detector oh. or resign yourself to using UI WebView like some kind of filthy animal. In the state inspector, I
1: thought so. Okay, and he should know. He has the yeah. triple T attributed label. You might know him <laughs> as <laughs> uh, the person behind Alamo Fire and AF
2: Networking. is he is he not with NSHipster anymore? Oh sure, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. no, that's not his paid job though. Like he works oh. at Panic Software. Okay, okay. Yeah. okay, that's his job. Job, job. All right. Um, um, okay, Jaime, um, hit us with some pick action.
1: <laughs> Indeed, I will. So while. you you are out there being productive. I'm apparently spending more time on games um, because my, <laughs> my pick of the week.
0: Loser! My pick of the week oh, is, yes.
1: is another game. Um, it's called Altos or Altos. Which I you download the other day, too. And uh, one, I will point out that um, this is by Snowman Software, I believe, over in Toronto.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So Canada has blessed us with something else to do. Have you heard of those guys, Aaron? No, I haven't. Hmm. go ahead I'm yeah, you've probably seen them at tin hortons while you're waiting for your roll up the cup or yeah or taco for all i know yeah Hmm. Okay, so it's a um it's a game where you play as somebody who is uh, a snowboarder and it's kind of like a tiny wings or perhaps ski safari as a as a closer game where it's an and effectively the endless runner type of game but it's Tim Tim's apparently playing it right now folks and so getting some 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 feedback right, right away here live um, It's a beautiful you know, visual design that it has it's a beautiful aesthetic as you change from day to night and it kind of looks a little bit like the um, Monument Valley kind of a mm-hmm. school of design but it it doesn't ape that design it's it's no different than having you know pixels right be like you know it's sort of an indie fad I think Monument Valley type design is, is, is kind of in vogue right now. And Alto's Avenger does a really good job of that in that, um, it's a really fun game. It's for one, I'll say it's, um, a dollar 99 us and it's pay once play forever. It does not have any in-app purchases. So that's kind of ties in with what we talked about earlier. And it's, um, you know, for folks who follow me on Twitter, that you think you might be thinking I'm kind of weird for saying this, but I think it's, it's actually pretty well balanced, uh, as a game overall, is just not very well balanced for first-time players, is, is like, the criticism I would give of it. So yeah, that, it's,
0: it's very similar to, like, a Tiny Wings thing we were talking about yesterday in, in that... that each, I think you said each level is automatically generated. They're not... It's not the same game over and over again as you play it?
1: Correct. I mean, it's it's endlessly playable, it's as far as I can tell, um, because you, you know, you're, you're skiing down the slopes and you're trying to uh, collect your... Um, I forget what they are. llamas, alpacas? I can't remember exactly off the top of my head. Llamas, kind of, llamas. Yeah, yeah. So you're trying to collect the llamas that have that have escaped and you're also trying to avoid your, your elders who it's not explained at all in any story, but you kinda of get the impression that your elders don't like you spending your time snowboarding snowboarding and doing flips, you know, backflips over ravines and everything instead of and, and grinding on, on buildings and stuff instead of actually, you know, farming or whatever it is that's supposed to happen here. Um, oh. super fun game, great music, you definitely got to play it with the sound on when you're not recording a podcast. Um, single, you know, single input kind of thing that you know. Hey, wait, you, you, you tap anywhere on the screen and you jump and you if you do a long press, he does the backflip. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Good to
1: know. It's great. And and it gets kind of more fun as you get into the further levels like where I've gotten or or further um, I, I say levels, but they're, they're they're programmatically generated. When I say levels, I actually mean the different achievements. So there's different challenges, like, you know, get to X number of thousand meters, um, do 25 total backflips, uh, avoid three elders, and then source of guy. And you go and gain achievements for each level, and I eventually reach the point in which I have a new character who plays very differently and feels very different than the main character alto mm-hmm. so it's it's pretty cool i i say check it out i think you'll love it um for folks in addition you know, for feedback let me know if you have the same concerns about the uh, the onboarding experience and the the play balancing for first-time players i think they probably could have scripted out the the first segment a little bit more to well, so that there to... wouldn't be as much of a surprise factor for first-time yeah. players
0: we talked about that a couple of weeks ago where it's sort of, it's kind of like that overlay thing where it, the game you're playing along and then the po- game pauses and you have to it gives you this little pop-up uh, box you need to read um, and you know it's a bit disruptive that way
1: yeah yeah so it's it's a little stutter step but then they still don't explain everything that you would need to know and there's mm-hmm. some things i think that i've benefited from in terms of being a game player and playing games like ski safari um, Mm-hmm it's currently featured on Apple's App Store, isn't it? Oh, is it? I wouldn't be surprised. It, it's a beautiful yeah, game. Yeah, it has Check been. Check it it's, out. Yeah, especially if you play it long enough to see what daytime, midday, and nighttime look like. It's Very oh, really? different experiences. Very cool. Lovely game.
0: Hmm. Interesting stuff. Okay, cool. Huh. Well, actually, before I get into my pick, I, I wanted to stop and talk a bit about NS North for a minute. Um, I mentioned Philip Casgrain Grain earlier um, at the NS Talk, at the um, NerdLearn Talk. Um, but just to, to let people know, the NS North, there's still tickets available for it. Um, Jaime is going to be joining us and coming all the way from uh, Seattle to, to the talk, as well as a number of people. Georgia Dow is doing the keynote. Mark Palvitas is speaking from, Mark from Taco, we talked about earlier. And um, there's also, if you're interested, they're doing. A, you, you can also do a, what's called a blitz talk or a lightning talk, um, where you have five minutes to get up and give your try your your hand out at doing a uh, presentation. Um, the deadline for those is March first. So if you want, if you have an idea for a blitz talk that you want to want to give, and like I said, try out your uh, your uh, speaking abilities, you can send those in to them, and they've got a link on their website for that. Um, there's also a shuttle going from. Um, ottawa from the airport and then the train station and i believe also from the airport and the train station from montreal um to bring people to the to the uh chalet chateau montevideo Monteblo montevideo is that what it is um in, which is a, a really nice place apparently it used to be a, an old hunting lodge i was talking to um dan and philippe about this uh in the middle of the week this week um and you know I, by the way jaime i did ask dan earlier if uh if he could have a special shuttle for you. And he suggested they could send a scooter for you. (laughs) A VIP scooter. I like that (laughs) idea. (laughs) Um, So that, yeah, I just want to talk about, that's NS North, and that's coming up in, uh, I think, the 10th of April, and uh, it's between Ottawa and Montreal at a a really nice hunting launch. That's uh, pretty much what I want to say about NS North. Okay, so my pick this week is... um, uh, well, I've been spending a lot of time working with Arduino with my grandson and my wife, who does um, wearable art. And so that's one of the things we've been interested in getting into. We've been, you know, going on Adafruit.com and buying this, the uh, regular size Arduinos. And there's also smaller Arduinos that you can buy that are actually washable if you're doing uh, costume work. Um, but Arduinos are sorry, I've forgotten the terminology for it, Aaron. Um, what do you call them? Anyway.
2: Microcontroller.
0: Microcontroller. Thank you. And and it's scriptable. There's a, basically basically Arduino software. Uh, it's an open source uh, technology. There's an Arduino software that um, lets you write C-based uh, commands and control electronics. And so normally what you would do is put things together with uh, breadboarding, you know, resistors and LEDs and sensors and all kinds of stuff. Um, and you can actually also tie those into, into iOS apps through another way. Um, but what I did last year was I discovered this this uh, thing, and it started out as a Kickstarter program again uh, called Little Bits. And what I got was, a th- I'm into music, as you know, and I bought a synth synthesizer kit for my grandson for his birthday last summer um, called Little Bits uh, Synth Kit. And it's it's basically a partnership between little bits and Korg, and you put together these different things. You get um, voltage control amplifier uh, modulators, VCOs, VCAs, um, little keyboard sequencers, um, speakers, obviously. And you can and they snap together. They have little magnets between them. So rather than you know, so you create circuits by connecting things through uh, these magnetic connections that they've come up with. Um, but what was cool today was I, d- I discovered. Um, by following up in one of their emails on a completely different thread, that they've now come up with an Arduino coding kit for little bits as well. So you can buy different kits for little bits. It's not just music, or, but you can do any kind of electronics, again, like you would with breadboarding. But I think the cool thing now is that they've added the Arduino thing, and um, they even have a cloud kit that lets you uh, connect your... Uh, you know, can you add a Bluetooth module and you can connect to an iOS app and you can do all kinds of really cool stuff. And there's all kinds of neat little projects they put on their site for, um, for building different things. Like, you know, people have put together like robotic hands and, you know, they have built data gloves where, you know, when you move your fingers, they, you know, okay. play music or, uh, manipulate things. You can have servo units. It's really kind of a cool little kit. So if you're any, any kind of maker and you're interested in electronics, um, you can get into your Arduino stuff. And, um, for Christmas, I think I talked about it before, um, I bought my wife uh, a starter kit for absolute beginner level Arduino stuff. Um, and that came with uh, a, a proper Arduino and, um, you know, a bunch of resistors and some LEDs and some, you know, uh, a light a color changing LED as well. And I think, Aaron, you were saying you were you were starting to get into Arduino or you were doing some stuff as well, right?
2: Yeah, I th- well, we both watched that fantastic presentation at the last taco with uh right. talen pince right mm-hmm. uh, this guy who who showed us all the things that he's been creating with his arduino microcontrollers um you know and took us through a number of his projects and showed us how to use various sensors and the kind of ide that he runs with uh inspired me because i i've had an arduino in its original packaging for about a year and a half now mm. <laughs> and just sitting on a shelf and so um I got a book from the pragmatic programmers, uh, called Arduino, a quick start guide Mm -hmm. link in the show notes, um, which takes you from the very, very start, um, to just get everything set up on your Mac, the programming environment, plug the Arduino in, um, light up an LDE, an LED on the, uh, on the board itself. And then just everything from there to various projects. This book is really interesting. And I, I have become slightly fixated on this in hmm. the last week or two. So I'm, I'm thinking of all kinds of different projects that I can make with the Arduino. Uh, so it's, it's a really fascinating world, and there's a lot to do in it. So it's yeah, a good it, book
0: for it. And that kind of stuff. I'll put a link to, to the starter kit that I bought. So the, you just bought the book, uh, Aaron, right?
2: Yeah, I already had the, the gear. Uh, I've made a number of passes at learning electronics over the years, and so right. I've got a bunch of stuff that I've bought but never used right. in a drawer. Uh, so this is the first time. Like all I need is the book, so that's what I got. And this book um, comes really recommended. It was, in fact, just updated today. I got an email from the Pragmatic Programmer saying mm. that my ebook. Has been updated, and I so I, I downloaded the latest version of it just this afternoon.
0: Yeah, that's the coolest thing about eBooks is you get these updates. So I'm yeah. curious what Doctor Rubin has to say about our little fledgling uh,
3: integrated circuit explorations.
2: His eyes are rolling. <laughs>
3: no, 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 I think Arduino's are, are great. Um, they're they're pretty amazing. What you get in that tiny little package. I mean, when you can when you figure that to do the same kind of thing, you know, 10, 15 years ago would have required. Like you were saying, you know, getting a building a PC board or a breadboard, and either Mm -hmm. soldering the thing in or or using little jumper wires to build all that stuff. And when you do use jumpers a little bit with Arduino's, but not like you would have had to. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. It really is cool. Uh, There's a couple of other ones out there as well. There's something called Raspberry Pi, right? Yeah, um, Mm -hmm. which is very popular because the the it, it basically runs Linux its uh, yeah. operating system so a lot yeah. of people like that uh, if you want to inter- interface with you know accessories or things like that mm-hmm. um so yeah i have one myself i play with it i don't play with it that much but I, every once in a while i pull it out and, and have some fun with it With the
0: raspberry Pi? no the or? arduino actually
3: the arduino oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah i also have one of these uh bluetooth uh 4.0 lte you know demo boards uh that i that i played with to connect uh to the phone with uh, you know i haven't really done anything real with it but hmm. but um you know, one of the thing uh, one of the things on my to do list is to get that going with the Arduino, and, mm. and you know, make some kind of a, of an accessory for my phone. Uh cool. But you know, yeah. w- when I have a couple of weeks of free time, which you know
0: probably won't <laughs> be anytime soon, <laughs> I'll send my grandson down to San
3: Jose. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he can be my intern.
1: <laughs> you know, it's a good time to be you know with all of those things: Raspberry Pi, Arduino. Um, I want to say Intel's Edison. Coming mm-hmm. out or has come out. I honestly don't know what's going on with that. Um, with that and 3D out, printing, yeah. it seems like it's a really, really good time to be somebody who likes to tinker with things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. So sure. it's kind of unfortunate that a, you know, a natural place to have gotten that stuff in the past would have been Radio Shack, but uh, yeah, not so much yeah. anymore, right? Amazon.com, I assume, is where you guys are getting. Yeah,
3: things. now we have the internet, right? So well, there's, there's Adafruit <laughs> is a, yeah, there's a site,
0: kind of cool site, and there's a, there's Aaron. There's a place on um, in um, Markham, where that sells this kind of stuff. Where do you where do you source your electronics from in Whitby?
2: Uh, I just go online and order the
0: stuff. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, just speaking of speaking of, uh, ironically, you mentioned the, the 3D printer there, I mean, I'll put a link to it in the in the notes. But my friend Marty actually put together a. He had me print the the gun. Basically, it's a, like a, like a retro um, like a ray gun kind of thing. Uh, on my printer and then he got a kit with uh, arduino and, and one of those um uh, circular leds uh, i forget what they call them um, but um and the and arduino and a battery pack and all that kind of stuff and it's got a little infrared sensor in the front of it and so when you point at something cold the leds turn blue when you point at something hot the leds turn red so it's kind of like you can walk around your your kitchen or whatever and, and you know check out the uh thermal measurings of of things around your kitchen which is
1: kind of neat oh that's, that's a nice stuff. idea that that makes me yeah. want to have a uh, infrared uh transmitter mm-hmm. that going with the gun idea and <laughs> <laughs> keeping that with like an automated build system like a jenkins and yeah and having that so it's like oh no the build's going wrong well time to shoot the build and put it out of its misery boom so we, <laughs> I, don't, I need to log into a console, and I can have something more fun. See,
0: well, in Canada, our guns just light things up; they don't actually blow them up, right? <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's funny. Alrighty, so Aaron, if people wanted to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? I would love it if they found me with screen capturing with taps tips At Aaron a a r o n v e g h on Twitter. On Twitter and Jaime, where can people find you?
1: On Twitter as at DevWithTheHair and on my own blog, DevWithTheHair.com. Right. And, Mark,
0: when you're not wandering around LA, where would people
1: find you?
3: Mark R at SmapSoft.com.
0: Okay. And as once again, my name is Timothy, I'm in Toronto, Ontario. And I am T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter. And you can also find me at t- uh, it-guy.com. And, of course, you can reach out to any of us at uh, the origin just code website mtjc.fm more information in the um outro on that and so i guess we'll try again next week so we'll see you later goodbye If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items we talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, or if you can, please write a review on iTunes. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast's Twitter account is at mtjc.fm mtjc underscore podcast if you'd like to support us you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc you can provide as little as a dollar amount any amount
3: helps however you're free to do as you please thanks again for listening
2: On, I went to the uh, NerdLearn Tech Talk At uh,
0: TWG Yeah, at TWG Yeah. So the working group for those of you who don't know NerdLearn, I just want to write that down Anyway, so I, um, and Mark Palvitas And Philip from um, NS North And Georgia Dow And uh, Brian Gillum were The panelists Brian Gillum's the one who does the WatchKit resources In case you don't know
2: I love the idea of talking about the Apple Watch though If uh, you want to throw that up Yeah um, Pretty Why are good we with that. That's oh, the, uh, the bottom. Your your yeah. thing. This dedicated stores.
0: Um, well, I said a sort of thing. So the nerdlearn thing was centered around the, the watch. I by the way, I also got a hand drawn uh, turkey, hand turkey.
2: Yeah, you posted that on Twitter. Did I? Yeah.
0: Oh no, or that's actually that's did. actually his bunny hero or uh, yes. bear in a cup. Yes. That's actually his. He's got number two. I have number three. Right, and so I think she did three of them during the during the. The thing,
1: so. Oh, so that explains it. So you got a hand turkey from Georgia Dow in person. I did. You I didn't did. buy it from the store subsequent. No, I meter.
0: got well, I got one hand, I got one hand, hand crafted. Okay. Hand, hand turkey. Yeah. Can, you can buy them from the Panda store or whatever they have. Yeah, or... I
1: think so. I can, can't remember with a Fanda, <laughs> Fanda store or yeah, something, yeah. I think. Yeah.
3: yeah. What the hell are you guys talking about? <laughs> I was yeah, just going to say, say the same thing. This like super <laughs> esoteric, <laughs> isometric, isometric stuff. <laughs>
0: I was just thinking about poor Mark there in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So Mark's not
2: going to get an answer, obviously. And you know, I guess neither am I. I, s- I saw the thing on Twitter, but that's as much as I know about it. No idea what you're and, talking and about. And Georgia
0: it. Dow, for those of you who care, is also doing the keynote speech, speech at uh, as North. All right.
2: But so. I mean, like, what's the hand turkey? You don't know. <laughs> Oh, to, to what Mark part was, of, I have no, no, idea, I, what I have no idea what you're about talking about, was not clear? We don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Come on, help oh, us out. You don't
0: know or Mark doesn't know? Both of us don't
2: know. <laughs> Mark don't, and do I don't isometric? know. I don't listen to isometric. I, oh. I simply saw the hand turkey on Twitter. I have no idea. I have nothing to contextualize it. Help thank us out. We, help a homie we out. Have a,
0: thank God we have the after show, eh, Jaime? Mean? This is the <laughs> pre-show this is even better. Well, even better. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. come on. This, Hit me. This will go to the end. Well, so so Georgia Dow. I don't know when she started this, but years ago, she started. I think she was at a conference or something, and she drew, uh, traced her hand, and made it into a turkey. As drew, you like, do. a turkey, right? Okay. Of course, we'll. I'll put a picture of, of that I posted of uh, Bunny Hero on um, and Georgia Dow uh, that I took it at, at the NerdLearn. But um, yeah, I, Jaime, help me out here. I'm. I'm I know about the the. Um, I know about the. Jaime's going to totally yeah. leave you hanging. Sorry, right I was reading. He's I, like, yeah, I was let mesmerized him twist by the doc,
1: <laughs> the Google Doc updating, and I was like, oh, what's going on there? Okay, so uh, apparently. <laughs> Shiny. Um, so hand, hand turkeys are super common for elementary school children in the United States around Thanksgiving oh, really? Day. Oh, okay. I'm under the impression this is not as common in Canada.
2: Yeah, my daughter has never no. made a hand turkey around Thanksgiving. Yeah. No, we eat
0: turkey for Thanksgiving. Do we ever? <laughs> and Easter.
2: Well, actually, we have ham at Easter. Do you? Yeah. Well, we have ham and turkey. That's <laughs> a that's a that's a good Easter. I'm I want to be at your Easter. Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. With butternut squash and yeah, go ahead. Oh, so, sorry. so the short of it, like I mean, you can find this on the isometric Sweet episodes themselves. Is this kind of came up in conversation about you know, Georgia Dow and the and the hand turkeys, and it kind of. Went off into um, they had had one episode about um, it really comes down to equality for pandas, and that will make so much more sense if you actually listen to the episode. It's been a while for me. Mm -hmm. Um, where I think Nintendo, in one of its um, like me type games where you put like a little character avatars, you couldn't actually have um, members of the same sex marry so you can have a male and a female marry but not male and male or female and female but you can do we talking we- about pandas yeah but you could do weird things i think like have pandas marry each other or something something odd like there was a way to kind of hack it and nintendo claimed that this was an, an unpatchable fundamental flaw in their oh, software that okay. could right so that ended up with being the whole panda equality sort of slogan that they had on their show and then people just like you know Dan Benjamin on Five by Five has the Jackals for his fans. Yes, mm-hmm. they have the Fandas for Isometric. Ah, uh, how they,
2: wonderfully idiosyncratic they are!
1: And uh, we need a name. Brianna Wu from Giant Space Cat also on Isometric created the uh, I forgot the store name. It's like Fandas Online or Fanda yeah, Store. We'll put it on, in the show notes in which they sell <laughs> Georgia Dows hand turkeys. Oh, really? There's a dollar one, and I think there's a $99 one, just for giggles. My
2: God, Tim, you got something that was worth money for free. Yeah, yeah. yeah. By her exactly. very hand. That's amazing. Exactly. You know, so, is, need this is a really name.
1: complicated, very esoteric chain of yeah, no describing kidding. things.
2: Yeah, Yeah. Do you think we need a name for our listeners, and we can sell shirts? How about, I'm, I'm voting for The Nobodies. The Nobodies? <laughs> I thought you were going to have something Macintosh-related. Well, Is there an absence of Macintosh? Because, you know, it's sort of our absence of the dog. Oh, like your dog, (laughs) Mac. Exactly. Ah, that's a good one. Um, Mm. Yes. I thought you were going to go with Clarice, the dog cow. No.